Redbox Media Programming is brought to you by... We've got good news. The world is open again, and people like you, people of faith, are traveling to Catholic sites around the world. Want to travel with exceptional Catholic leaders this fall, next year, or in the future? Are you looking to see specific sites, celebrate traditional Latin Mass, or travel to destinations without vaccine requirements? We are here to help you deepen your faith on pilgrimage. Give us a call at 1-800-842-4842 or visit us online at selectinternationaltours.com. Select International Tours is your pilgrimage company, and we have the perfect Catholic trip for you. Are you looking to serve God and society? Consider putting your gifts to work as a lawyer. Ave Maria School of Law has been educating faith-filled lawyers for over 20 years. Ave Maria School of Law is committed to training lawyers to use law appropriately around the moral issues of our time. Visit AveMariaLaw.edu to learn more about integrating your faith with a law degree. Welcome to A Seeking Heart with Allison Jingris, distributed through Breadbox Media. I'm joined today by my birds <laughs> and, and Kimberly Cook. Kimberly Cook's new book, um, Motherhood Redeemed, How Radical Feminism Betrayed Maternal Love, is out from Tan Publishing. Kim, thank you for joining me today. Thanks so much for having me today, Allison. Kim and I met in real life a few years ago, and I'm so um, grateful that the Lord connected us and I get to call you friend. Kim, tell us a little bit about Motherhood Redeemed. Well, the book is a parallel of my story, my testimony story of being drawn into radical feminism and really losing my Catholic faith of baptism and origin, and then how I came to discover all the lies of radical feminism. And really with that healing journey came back to the Catholic faith and embraced that. And then, um, so I wanted to tell my story. And then also I wanted to really share with people the history of feminism, especially in this country and how damaging it's been for women, especially when it comes to women wanting to embrace motherhood and family life. And um, so that is basically the inspiration behind the book. And as feminism becomes more and more prominent in our culture, and a lot of people don't really understand the history of feminism or the true definition or meaning of feminism, I think it's easy to get wrapped up into that lie to get sucked into the same path that I did and um, or to believe that it's compatible with a Catholic faith, a Catholic understanding, Catholic teaching, and to be slowly drawn down that path. And as well, on the other hand, even if that's not the case, just being able to refute and argue the case against feminism is really important in this day and age. So for all of those reasons, I felt it was necessary to write this book at this time. Well, I know very little. I'm going to be very honest about feminism. I remember reading in college back in the 80s, the uh, Betty Friedan, is that her name, mm -hmm. book? Mm -hmm. um, 
I think it was in, I was needed to read it for some class I was taking. I don't think I took very much away from it. I think that part of me lived it without really realizing what I had kind of um, kind of talked, uh, kind of was like drawn into like what I was being kind of lied to about. You do mention that book in the, in your book. Can you tell a little bit about why? Sure. So Betty Friedan wrote that book, The Feminine Mystique in the early 60s. And what happened was it really had this bombshell effect on the suburban housewife. Now, to go back to the 50s, right before that, there were definitely problems that needed to be corrected. No question about that. You know, there was this idea that the 50s housewife with the picket fence and the manicured yard had the perfect life and her waist was supposed to be, you know, so many inches around and she was supposed to show up when her husband got home at the door with pearls on and, you know, looking perfect with makeup and high heels and pearls and, um, you know, all however many kids behaving like angels in the background. The house was spotless. Dinner was on the table. Wow, you're describing my home. (laughs) (laughs) You know, and so there was this painted image in media and commercials and magazines and everything of this perfect 50s housewife. And sure enough, that led to a lot of despair among Uh, women of that generation. And um, we know that there was a high use of alcohol among housewives at the time, a lot of sleeping pills being prescribed, um, you know, a lot of antidepressants, things like that. And so there was definitely a cultural problem with women feeling that they had to fit into this box, which any mother knows is impossible to fit into in all of those areas and still maintain peace and happiness and all of the things spiritually that you need. And so these women were existing a lot of times on these uppers, downers, you know, just to get them through. And then they weren't being honest, having an honest relationship with their spouse. So because of that pressure, there were a lot of marriages that children were seeing that were on shaky grounds. And then, of course, the 60s and 70s rejected marriage altogether for free love. And they didn't want what their parents had, which they saw this facade of perfection. But underneath it all, everything was falling apart. So there were definitely cultural problems that needed to be addressed. And, you know, the balance of power, if you will, in the household, like, you know, the woman's responsible for everything with the children, everything with the food, everything with the cleaning. And the man comes home from a hard day's of work and puts his feet up and smokes his pipe by the fireplace, drinking a brandy and reads his newspaper and, you know, relaxes for the rest of the night while mom's wrangling kids in the bath into bed and all that kind of stuff. So, so I need to put that there first in place because Betty Friedan's book came on the cusp of that and was kind of speaking to these women that were either in that situation or had been raised seeing mothers struggle to meet that perfection. And I think that her book hit this chord with the housewife and her whole point was 
you know, that there has to be something more than this. This can't be all there is. I, you know, deserve more. I'm worth more. I can give more. I have more value than this. This can't be all there is to life. And um, so I think a lot of women latched onto that. And then, of course, she called being stuck at home with children, raising children, a comfortable concentration camp. That was one of the things that she said about being a stay-at-home mom. So not only did she strike this chord, but she also made women feel like they had been lied to, cheated, not that there needed to be some things changed, but that even being home, you know, being that housewife was such a lie and there could be no joy and happiness in that vocation And the whole thing, you know, the baby needed to be thrown out with the bathwater, basically, was the point of her book. So um, with that, a lot of what she encouraged was mothers to not tell their girls, okay, go straight from high school to getting married anymore or looking for a husband. You know, that was kind of the thought beforehand. Women can't go into these careers that are male-dominated, like sciences or math or things like that. These are unfeminine fields. So instead, you know, just become a secretary or a nurse or a teacher or do something that won't really get in the way of getting married, you know. And so the end goal was all about getting married and family. So this Betty Friedan's book really changed that to the point of no, mothers were saying, get your degree, you know, go to college, um, Go live on your own, experience life, date a bunch of different people. And then eventually, you know, if that's what you're called to is marriage, then after you've kind of sowed all your wild oats and figured out all these things, then get married. So that book drastically changed our culture for the first time in that way. And I definitely grew up with a dad who kind of saw it the other way. I remember talking about going to college. There had been nobody, no woman in my family. My mother had started I, I lied. There was one woman in our family who had gone to college and graduated. She was a teacher. She never married. Um, and so that was the only one out of a history of people in my family. My mom started. She didn't finish. She got married. And so when I started talking about college, my father was like, why do you need that? Just become an executive secretary and then you'll be pregnant and barefoot before you know it. You don't have to worry about these things. And it was just it was interesting to you know, to kind of go against that. But yet I wanted both. And I knew I could have both. Mm -hmm. I knew I could go to college. I got my master's degree. I was a paralegal. I was able to have my dreams, follow everything that I had felt called to do. And also I got my master's degree with two little kids at home, uh, you know, going to school in the middle of the night on the internet. It was like, Mm -hmm. this works for me. There's this way of balance Um, But what I didn't know at that point, because I hadn't yet come to know the faith, was you, you know, you talk about John Paul II's 1995 letter to women. Can you tell us a little bit about how all that connects? And then, you know, we start to see God's design for us. Sure. And I think that a lot of people often do ask that, well, what is the balance then? You know, what is the balance? And that's something that women in the 50s didn't, at least socially in society, if you look at the reflection of the sitcoms that were on and things in magazines and reflections of the culture, 
certainly didn't understand the balance there. And then the generation that followed the 60s and 70s obviously went in the complete opposite direction and didn't understand the balance there with rejecting marriage altogether and family life and just having this free love mentality. So I think that when John Paul came to the papacy, it was really ripe for needing to hear that truth, especially about marriage and the family and especially about women's place, because I think there was a lot of confusion for women about where do we fit in? How do I have all these gifts and talents and this desire to do things outside of the home, but also this strong desire to be in the home, to have children, to have family life. How could God have put all of these desires in my heart and not have wanted me to pursue them? And um, so John Paul really educated us in the fact that it isn't necessarily one way or the other. It's not that you have to choose, okay, are you going to be single and have a career or are you going to stay home and raise children? And that's not the way that God made women. And because he gave us these gifts of multitasking, of being able to take on so much and to be able to have this scope of um, compassion for all people, uh, especially our family and our children, but also extending beyond that to the larger community and to the world, because God did put that in a special way into the hearts of women, which he called what's been termed the feminine genius, that makes it clear, you know, we follow what God's put in our hearts and we follow the proper hierarchy from that. And we learn what we're capable of and how we're capable of doing that. So the important thing with John Paul was always that there is this hierarchy. You know, if you are called to the vocation of marriage and you're blessed with children in your home, then there is this, um, you have this responsibility, obviously, to them, to their education, to their well-being, to love them well and to give and to make your home a place of peace and a sanctuary and a place where the children feel that they're loved and welcomed and that it's a place that they can grow and thrive and not that everyone's like a bunch of ships passing in the night and nobody's really there for them and there's no stability. So there is a responsibility to create that in the home and um, and the mom as basically the heart of the home really bears a lot of that responsibility. But on the other hand, it doesn't mean that that has to be all that she ever does and that if those needs are met, like you said in your own example, it worked for you to be getting your master's degree online so you didn't even have to leave the house. And at different hours, you know, when either the kids were sleeping or your husband was taking over or whatever else was happening. Mm -hmm. So I think that um, John Paul allowed women to see that you can make this work and it doesn't have to be all or nothing. You don't have to sacrifice your children and you don't have to sacrifice all these other desires and gifts that God put in your heart, whether that means taking a few years off when the children are babies and then going back to something or whether it means getting your master's degree, like you said, online at 
odd hours or whether it means whatever, you know, but the fact is that we all have gifts to share and um, with our, our immediate community of our family and beyond. I love how you kind of made that connection that God put those in our hearts. They're, 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 and he tells us in the scriptures, he delights in giving us the desires of our hearts. So why would he put that there? Like you said, and then, and there's so many, and I love that there's no right or wrong way of, of living this out, of living out this promise. And that's one of the things I took from talking today with Kimberly Cook. Her book is Motherhood Redeemed from Tan Publishing. This is one of the things I took from your book, Kimberly, is that there's, when we open our hearts to what God wants for us, I was the person, you know, you talk about looking for that loophole, right. In the, um, in the human vitae, like I was looking for that. Like my husband and I, we had been married for a while. We were looking for all the loopholes to live the way we wanted to live, but also to be good Catholics, like to be faithful. I shouldn't say good Catholics. I like the word faithful Catholics. It was a much better word, like practicing our faith according to the way it was taught and not the way I wanted it to be. So how did you, if you don't mind sharing, how did you make that balance in your own life? Yeah. So I know a lot of people will ask that as well for me because they say, okay, right now we're pregnant with number five. And our kids are mostly young and I just wrote a book and I'm doing a podcast, the same kind of things, you know, and luckily with technology being as it is these days, you can do so much online at home without ever leaving, you know, all like we're doing right now, this podcast, you can do it right in your home and you turn on the computer and there it is, you know, it's not like you're going to a studio you're getting the kids a babysitter and you're gone for hours or something like that. And so with technology, that's one of the beautiful things about modern technology is that we can reach each other right through the phone or the computer or whatever else. And um, for me, thankfully with the balance, my husband is totally on board, which I think makes a huge difference and is really necessary when spouses are on board and the family supportive I can't imagine doing anything with a family that was resisting mom taking on some kind of a a task. And so really the family for me has definitely been my biggest cheerleaders and advocates. My husband really encouraged me to write this book. I had been wanting to write it for so long and it was in my heart and I had talked about it and he, you know, really said, you have a story to tell And it's a good one and people need to hear it. And we will do whatever we have to, to make time for you to write this because I believe in this. And if I didn't have his motivation, I don't know if I would have had enough motivation to write it on my own because I'm thinking of, oh my gosh, all the hours it's going to take and then writing and editing and all that goes with it. I'm like, you know, you really have to feel passionately about a book to write one. Oh my gosh, yes. They, they're way harder than they look um, on the shelf. <laughs> yes. So, so I mean, that is what I would say is just having that partnership and that those cheerleaders because your family, your spouse, they have to be cheering you on and making the time for you. You know, if they're kicking and screaming, it's going to be miserable. And it's not, I mean, how am I supposed to tell people about balancing motherhood when I'm telling my own family, get lost so I can write this book and tell people about balancing motherhood, you know, it's got to be something that 
you feel like God's opening the doors to, especially through the words of your spouse and your family. That made me think of when I first started to come back to the church and I started to do Bible study and I would, my kids were little at the time, my two boys, I hadn't yet adopted Faithy. And I would be, you know, sitting with my um, Bible and my book study books. And I would be um, kind of like trying to get into the, the study. And then the boys would come over and I would like freak out and be like, can't you see I'm trying to study my faith right now? (laughs) Okay. I'm totally missing the point. So when you said that, I started to see that connection of, you know, missing the point, but um, that story aside, Kim, Kimberly, we're talking today with Kimberly Cook, motherhood redeemed, uh, radical feminism, betrayed maternal love. If I'm a person who sees this cover, sees this book, one of the things I miss about bookstores, uh, is picking up a book and, and leafing through it. If I'm like looking at the cover of your book, what is it you hope that the reader will be drawn to, what the reader will get from spending some time in Motherhood Redeemed? Well, I definitely hope that the idea that motherhood is a good, a supreme good for women will come through. And that's something that was really lost on me throughout those years that I was pursuing radical feminism one of the biggest beliefs was that motherhood was the worst thing that could happen to a woman. It stunted her growth in every single way. And again, all those horrible images of like a parasite being in your body and not only taking all of your nutrients and everything else like that and making it hard to do anything and ruining your body. But beyond that, anything that you've worked for, your career, your um, education, any advancements that you had hoped for in life are just destroyed by this child, you know? And that was, that was really what came through to me that there's nothing good that can come out of motherhood. And so it's really something that if it's a desire that you can't shake for whatever reason, like it's just a biological thing, because at that point, I didn't really have faith. So if you feel like you have this biological clock that you just can't turn off, fine, you know, wait till you've done all of the things that you want to do. And you've pursued all the things that you want to pursue and gotten your education and secured your spot in the world. And then if you feel like you need to have one or maybe two children, fine, And then as soon as possible, return back to that career. And that's, I really saw children as a burden and something that was in the way. And the only reason that you have them is because you do have this biological clock that, you know, some women can't shake, but then just get that out of the way and move on with your life. And we see that all the time when we look around us women that are living that out and not embracing the joy of motherhood, the joy of what was truly put in our heart again by God, that passion to not only have a child, but to raise and nurture and love that child and to be loved in return. All those things are missing when you don't allow that to penetrate your heart. And when you don't see the fruits of the vocation for what it truly is. And so those lies are really what I hope that women can recognize early enough. And I've had sadly so many women that are past the age of childbearing that have come to me in tears saying, you know, I have multiple degrees and PhDs and um, so many accolades 
hanging on my wall. And I had listened to so many women in my life had lied to me. My mother, my grandmother, aunts said, don't do what we did. You know, go do this, go do that, pursue this. Don't marry him. Don't, you know, pushing them, kind of living through them in a way. And now it's too late for them to have children. They've missed their chance in so many ways. They've missed so much of their life. And now they're so lonely and reminiscing on all that they did not take part in. And there's just immense sadness in their life now and that they're dealing with. And that, I guess that's what I hope is that I can reach some of these women before they would get to the point of, needing to reflect back in life before it's too late. I'm thankful that the Lord, you know, got me in time so that I could still live a life of truth and that I found John Paul's teachings and I was, you know, moved enough by them and recognized that truth enough to turn away. And I pray that other women can have that same conversion through hearing the truth. Well, one part I'd like to just kind of circle back to just for a minute for those who may listen, who may have felt like they're part of that, that the people, the women who missed that call or didn't hear it soon enough. And they're maybe feeling that loneliness and that that pain. I want to talk just a a quick moment about John Paul's teaching on spiritual motherhood that, you know, God says in the scriptures, I see I make all things new. And so nothing is ever finite in the love of God. And so that somebody is that woman who feels like I missed it, that the God gives you so many ways of redeeming that, redeeming that motherhood, the name of your book, Motherhood Redeemed, through your spiritual motherhood, that there are so many young women and, and women people out there who could use a loving it's St. Francis de Sisi. I just wanted to stop for a second here. It's St. Francis de Sisi's uh, Assisi's feast day. And can I tell you, Kimberly, every time you're talking, I mute. And these birds do nothing. They don't say a word. They don't make a peep. <laughs> and the second I turn on my microphone and I start to talk, they're like driving me crazy. Anyway, we're going to have to find out a new plan for the next podcast for those who listen to a Seeking Heart regularly. I'm sorry. And to you, Kimberly, I'm very sorry for inter- <laughs> interrupting. But I had to laugh that today is his St. Francis's um, feast day. And here I have my uh, animal friends. So, right. You should say it was planned. Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah, I just <laughs> they're just trying to share in the conversation. The soundtrack for Francis. <laughs> Can you share a little bit about spiritual motherhood just real quickly before we re- wrap up? Absolutely. Yeah. So that is a beautiful thing to point out. And of course, spiritual motherhood is something that we all have to understand because it is more of a reality, I think, than physical motherhood for us, because all women share in spiritual motherhood, whether they are able to physically have children or called to physically have children. When we look at nuns and sisters in religious life, they are not called to a physical motherhood, but very much so a spiritual motherhood. And the same thing with single women and the same thing with women that are not able to have physical children of their own or just choose adoption. Those are all forms of spiritual motherhood. But even the woman who does have physical children, it would be ridiculous to say that she also doesn't have a spiritual motherhood for those children. I mean, I think if I, if all I had to do was physically, you know, carry and bear my children and maybe nurse them or whatever, and then 
a year after I'm done with them. You know, that's the end of my motherhood career with that child. You know, okay, that wasn't so bad. See you later. Good luck in the world. I mean, what is our role for the rest of their lives? You know, the rest of our child's life, we spiritually mother them. We constantly pray for them, for their protection, for their good, for everything. Um, we are we spend a lot more time spiritually mothering our children than physically mothering them. And hopefully, you know, our children will live a long life and you know, the time that they're actually under our roof to be physically mother is a lot shorter than the time that they're not under our roof and being spiritually mothered. So what I realize is there's this connection between all women in all vocations. And it's this very strong sense of spiritual motherhood where we are caring and praying and concerned for the good, the truth, goodness, and beauty of all people that God brings into our home. It could be a biological child. It could be a child by way of adoption. It could just be a friend or somebody in need. Or if you're a religious sister, there's going to be people that come to you and God brings them there for a reason. And it's because they are in need of that spiritual motherhood. Or even, you know, with Padre Pio, we see so clearly that spiritual fatherhood. He's one of the best saints to show the spiritual fatherhood where people are just drawn to him in need of that spiritual father. And he willingly and excitedly takes on that task. I think you're still on mute. <laughs> All right. My poor, my poor editor, my poor pub, uh, podcast editor is going to have a little bit more work to do. Anyway, picking back up. Uh, just a little interesting Godsident moment before we went live. Um, I was testing out my microphone and my headphones and the two YouTube videos I chose to listen to without realizing it both talked about Padre Pio. He is my spiritual dad. Mm -hmm. He shares my actual birth dad's birth, uh, birthday. And I had a, a very difficult relationship with my father. I went to a retreat. I touched my uh, crucifix on one of his gloves and I just kind of like, I, I always wear, he's always with me. And um, I just feel that very strong spiritual, uh, we, so our spiritual mothers and fathers can be here. They can be in heaven. They can be the biological ones who have passed on. But also I love our saintly, um, our, see, our blessed mother, my spiritual mama and um, Padre Pio. So just interesting that you mentioned him because I've kind of felt him with us this whole conversation. So uh, Kimberly, as we wind down, we're talking again today with Kimberly Cook, her new book, Motherhood Redeemed, How Radical Feminism Betrayed Maternal Love. How can we, one, purchase the book? And two, how can women who want to continue this conversation, continue learning more about this topic, kind of uh, follow what you do? Because what you do is amazing, by the way. Thank you. So first of all, um, you can go to Tan Books to purchase it. You can go to Amazon to purchase the book. You can go to my website to find out more, which is just KimberlyCook.me. And you can listen to my podcast. You can find out more about what I've written on feminism and other topics like that. So that's a great way. And then I should say, Allison, that my last podcast that I just released was on a couple who Padre Pio was their matchmaker. 
No way. Yeah. Oh, so that's you crazy. would love it. And they were very close with him um, throughout his life. And she talks about becoming a spiritual daughter, but in person, she was in person, spiritual daughter. Very, wow. very powerful story. Well, that's why I love him. He actually, him and I actually shared the world for about three months. He died the September of the year I was born. So I have this closeness to him because we shared the same air. <laughs> that's amazing. I love that our saints aren't just these people who lived thousands of years ago or even hundreds of years ago, but that they lived in our time, which is amazing. Kim, thank you so much for making your time uh, with me today. I really enjoyed, as always, our conversations. Thank you so much, Allison. Always a lot of fun to be with you. You have been listening to A Seeking Heart with Allison Jingris, distributed through Breadbox Media. God bless. This is Kevin O'Brien of EWTN's Theater of the Word. I'm excited also to teach middle school and high school literature, speech, and drama with homeschoolconnections.com, an online Catholic curriculum provider. Your student can meet with me online for a live, interactive class. Whether you take apologetics with John Martinoni or grade school with Jackie De La Viaga, or any of the other 400-plus courses with homeschoolconnections.com, online Catholic learning for your homeschooling family is available for you.